Hello. Hey, is everything okay? Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, I hit. I put it on speaker. For Welcome back to Absent Sire. I'm your host, Jason V. On the last episode of Absent Sire, Dad talked about his experiences in high school and college. Dad went to SUNY Albany, and the pressure of higher learning caused him to drop out during his senior year, two credits shy of graduation. What really caused Dad to drop out, though, was a lack of confidence and a feeling of crushing isolation, lovingly nurtured by two sets of 20th century parents. Parents that practice tangential love, where you never heard those three special words, I love you, and sparing the rod was unthinkable. In this episode, Dad talks more about his time at SUNY Albany, life after dropping out, why he went back to school, and for me, a bombshell of a reveal. Let's get started. Despite being despondent for the majority of his life, Dad recalls having a good time in college. He was a normal guy, doing normal college guy things. Definitely enjoyed the young ladies that were there, both white and black, at, um, at SUNY Albany. You know, never really developed a, a quote-unquote long-term relationship with, with any of them. It, everybody's attitude was just, hey, you know, let's just have fun and let's enjoy each other. As a minority, though, Dad noticed something at SUNY. It's a sixth sense all minorities have. It's the reason we check for people that look like us when we go to new places or parties at houses with long driveways. There was a, a very distinct um, turnover of, of minority students at SUNY Albany. The way that that environment worked was is that typically out of every freshman class, by the following summer, at least 50% of the students were no longer there and maybe even a higher percentage than that. As you went, as you progressed through your sophomore, junior, and senior year, of the 700 or so students that, that came in when I did, if, if 700 was the number, it might have been less than that. I would probably say maybe 100 actually graduated from SUNY Albany. So that was a very, very big issue within that environment. Another issue, which contributed to Dad's dropping out, was his hard-headedness. SUNY Albany may have had a small minority student body, but there were programs and clubs available like BSU and Black Greek Life. But just by my nature, I wasn't trying to participate in any of that. So I wasn't using my, you know, my status to leverage it into something else. I wasn't smart enough to do that. Okay, I didn't, I didn't feel compelled to do that at that point in my life. And, and, um, and also SUNY Albany wasn't like, you know, an HBCU where the whole attitude and the whole construct in HBCU was totally opposite of, of the way that it was at SUNY Albany. At Albany, you as a student and, and you, had to, you had to get it the best way that you could. You know, the, the resources that were offered, if you didn't take advantage of them, well, you know, that was, that was your problem. And my mindset at that point, you know, being Superman, I felt I didn't need any help. Even in the 70s and 80s, the age-old battle of PWI versus HBCU was apparent. PWIs have the prestige and the resources, but HBCUs have the nurturing environment a minority needs to feel like they can succeed in this American world. Do you ever 
wonder if your college experience would be different if you had went to like say i don't know you came down and like went to morgan state or you went to howard or something like that are there hbcus in new york in in new york yeah um no not in new york um the closest to new york would be pennsylvania where lincoln college is at um and and also understand this okay even though um i had um my 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 friend's sister who you know who's boyfriend and then later husband who was one of the advisors at at um in the EOP program at SUNY Albany they they went to um well one of them went to um Howard and the other one I think went to Morgan State yeah they went to Morgan State so they had the HBCU background I didn't know anything about it quite honestly when 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 I was going to college even during my uh, my college experience you know I didn't really have a um, a perspective on what college would have been like at an HBCU if I had been if I had been fortunate enough to get involved with an HBCU I yeah I'm positive that my college environment my college experience would have been vastly different HBCUs are seen as the linchpin the central cohesive element to black uplift and thus rising up and overcoming. I could be wrong, but all my school years never did an HBCU rep come to my elementary school or my middle school. Maybe they did in high school, and similar to dad, I was just lost in my own traumatic haze to have paid any attention. HBCU or not, dad put himself at a disadvantage because... Quite honestly, I had kind of a fucked up attitude about school anyway. Um, I wasn't into, you know, seeking out people to help me do what I needed to do. My attitude was, okay, I can do this. I'm just as good as anybody else. I can do this myself. And that's not a good attitude to have when you're in a totally foreign environment and you have to compete with, you know, with, with other folks that are better prepared. So um, it was just a very, very grinding type of um, experience. That's the reason why I left, you know, that short. I mean, I was two, I was two courses short of my degree, you know, my credits for my degree. I mean, I could have just spent the summer up there that year and finished that up and I would have been, you know, done and through with it. But I was so fed up and frustrated that I just left. Do you ever regret that? Yeah, yeah, I definitely do. I definitely regret that I did what I did. I definitely regret, um, having that perspective that I had at that time of, you know, I could do this all myself and, you know, I don't need anybody's help when, when clearly I did. And, um, and it's funny because when, when I went back to school to finish up my degree in like 85, um, I was working full time at the time, um, at an, at an insurance company and I was going to school to finish up my degree. And um, my perspective had completely changed. I was like, look, if you're offering help, I'm here to get it. And, um, and just my whole attitude towards the effort that I had to put in to get my work done and stuff like that had, had changed. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, Dad details life after dropping out. I'm Jason V. This is Absent Sire. This is Absent Sire, I'm Jason V. Before the break, Dad talked about dropping out of school and how it was one of many life decisions he regretted. He got a job after dropping out, which was impressive, but not really. When I left school, I took a position in New Haven, Connecticut. 
What and what was the name of the insurance company that you worked for? Um, it was called Chubb C H U B B. Um, at that point, it was Chubb Group, Chubb Insurance Group. Um, <laughs> it was a um, kind of a boutique insurance company, quite honestly, because they had, you know, had a lot of um, wealthy clients for personal insurance, and you know, a lot of. Well, I worked on the commercial side, so we did. Um, commercial insurance for businesses in that in that um, Connecticut area, the, you know the the southern Connecticut area in the New Haven um, area, Bridgeport, um, that area. If you've been listening to Apps and Sire since episode zero, you'll know I had a brief stint in Connecticut as well. I asked Dad what life in Connecticut was like for him. Yeah, I lived in New Haven. I mean, because I didn't have any place else to live. Because I, you know, I had left school, and I had just rented the trailer with my raggedy car, and just brought all my stuff there and got an apartment. So I lived in an apartment in um, I lived in an apartment in um, West Haven. Having to adjust to a new location is tough, especially when there's no support from family or friends. Added to that stress was trying to make it in the insurance game. Chubb was one of the, you know, one of the had one of the best reputations that as an insurance company that there was. So I, I was fortunate to, you know, to, to have that from that standpoint. It was kind of a grind because, um, you know, I'm the new kid on the block and I don't know shit. So I had to, you know, I had to figure everything out. Um, um, I had to, fi- you know, learn the, um, the insurance aspects of it, but I also had to learn, the, you know, the, the, the political you know, games were going on and also how to manage the, you know, the interpersonal relationships with the other team members that, that work there in that office and also deal with the um, the underlying current of whether I was worthy to be there or not because Trevor had a long history of, of hiring only like Ivy League um, graduates to, you know, to come to their company. And I was one of, I think the year that I, went there was like the second time that they had hired people outside of the Ivy League to come and work for their company. So there was some undercurrent about that also. So I kind of felt like I had to prove that I was good enough to be there and and all of that crap. But um, from a learning standpoint, I learned a lot about corporate culture and I also learned a lot about what it, what it took in order to to survive and, and be somewhat successful there also. Uh, so would you say, like, you had to do a lot of code switching there? A lot of what? Code switching, are you familiar with that? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, well, that was, that was just one of the things that I did by nature anyway. There was two sides to me. There was my, there was my corporate environment side, and then there was my you know, my non-corporate environment side. Now, I still carry that to this day. When you're in an environment where you have to perform in a certain way and communicate in in a certain way to be effective, then that's, you gotta flip that switch and do it. From the sound of things, Dad was dealing with a lot. On one hand, he was the epitome of black excellence, a college dropout landing a job at a premier insurance agency. On the other hand, he was a college dropout at a premier insurance company. A competitive workplace culture didn't help Dad feel welcome, and as a college dropout, there's no doubt imposter syndrome was rearing its ugly head. 
To round things out, Dad was code switching daily, and he himself said there was this undercurrent of, how did you get here? Which can be exhausting. Were you making good money at that time? I mean, like, like were you making good money for a black man in the 19, what is that, the 1980s? Mad was like 1978. Um, I, nah, I don't think so. Not great money. I, my first, my first salary for my first job at coming straight out of school was less than $12,000 a year. So, yeah, you can imagine from that, there wasn't a whole lot of, a whole lot of money left over to, to keep up with the month. And one of the reasons why that is, as I look back on it, was I wasn't really good at negotiating for salary. Okay, I was just kind of one of those, one of those people that, okay, hey, this is a great, sounds like a great position for me. Oh, that's how much you're paying? Okay, cool, you go with that. Rather than negotiating for, you know, exactly what I felt I needed or, or wanted. Dad stayed at Chubb Group for two years, then he worked at the Hartford, which is another insurance company in Hartford, Connecticut. After that, Dad moved to New York City to work at AIG, the same AIG that thanked taxpayers for bailing them out during the Great Recession. Dad had accomplished something else during his time away from school, something I never knew and quite honestly came as a complete shock to me. I was married one time before um, I married your mom and that didn't work out and that was one of the um, one of the motivating factors for me to move back to New York and New York City at that. This was huge to me. As I had these conversations with Dad, there was a lot of stuff I learned about him and my family overall, but I never knew that Dad was married once before. As significant as that information was, we'll put it on the back burner for now. There'll be plenty of time to dissect it in future episodes. Back to Dad, who was now in NYC, working at AIG, FYI. I moved back to New York City, and when I first when I first got back there, I lived with my dad and my stepmom, who at that point had moved to another area of Queens called St. Albans. And while I was working at AIG, doing my thing there, I lived with them for a little while, then I got my own place. While doing that, working in that, I also got in the back of my mind, I was thinking about I need to go back and finish my degree because I don't ever want that to be a, an obstacle for me not getting what I want to get or not moving where I want to go corporately. I started hatching a plan for going back to school and finishing up my degree. Dad knew deep down he had fucked up and he needed to have a degree if he wanted to succeed in that modern world. Uh, when you got back to New York to go finish out your degree, at SUNY, um, do you feel like your parents' feelings or opinions towards you had changed for, for better or for worse? Um, my, my dad and my stepmom and also my mom, um, my biological mom, oh, they were, they were very happy, you know, that I had made the decision to go back to school and that, you know, I kind of showed some discipline also, some you know, some vision to go ahead and tackle that. My relationship with them hadn't changed a whole lot. Um, I was still me, myself, the introvert, and, um, you know, and still trying to go ahead and understand the dynamics of their relationship and then my role within that. And then also, you know, just understand myself better. Right, right. And then what about with 
uh, all of your siblings, like, did, had anything changed um, between y'all? No, not really. When I left Schenectady to go live with my dad, I mean, I didn't have a, I didn't have a good relationship with my, you know, with my younger half brothers and sisters, and that, you know, never, you know, became a, a better relationship. Um, I did start developing a better relationship with my older sister Susan, your aunt Susan, who you know. She was also living in New York at the time. She lived in Staten Island. So, um, and I stayed with her for a little while when I first went back to New York. But, um, you know, over the years, she and I have developed, you know, a pretty good relationship. Um, And then also within that, you know, within that time period or whatever, um, my biological mother and my stepfather, they got divorced, okay? And um, she was by herself when I went back to SUNY Albany to finish up my degree. And, you know, my relationship with my mom, it got a little bit better, but both being really not great communicators in that, um, you know, although I'm convinced, you know, that my mom loved me and, and that, but just because of the way that she was, she wasn't real demonstrative. And she was also dealing with issues, the result of my oldest sister dying and, you know, the younger uh, children being basically kind of what call it a group of fuck-ups, really. Um, so I'm sure, that, you know, she was dealing with that herself. Do you ever feel like you had to fight for your parents' affection or after a certain point where you just like, you know, I don't give a shit anymore? I didn't, I didn't feel like I had to fight for their affections or whatever. Um, what I really felt like was that um, with, with my mom, I just understood that that's the way that she was. I mean, she, she loved her children and like that, but she wasn't a big, you know, touchy-feely type of person and didn't really talk about her feelings, just, you know, and, and neither did I. You know, it's just one of those family things. Um, but I mean, you know, I, I could tell and I knew that, you know, she was really happy that I was taking the steps to, you know, to go back to school and that. And also the fact that, you know, I was, you know, I was gainfully employed. I mean, because my younger brothers and sisters weren't doing that. You know, they were too busy, you know, screwing up. Um, and, you know, me and me and Susan, I mean, yeah, we, I mean, we stayed employed. You know, we didn't get in any, you know, serious trouble or anything like that. And um, we were, you know, we were growing and living our lives. Um, but to get back to your question about fighting for their affections, um, that really, I never really felt that that's what I was doing. I just felt like, you know, that, that, that they accepted me pretty much for who I was. And I accepted them for who they were. It's hard listening to your father tell you, yeah, my parents didn't show me love, but you know, it's okay. It makes me mad that they didn't, or perhaps couldn't, show him the affection he needed. People always say when they have kids that they'll give them everything they never had, but you can't pour from an empty cup. How do you show your children love when your parents didn't show you love? How do you be a father when the only father you knew beat you, and your real father was transient at best? Do you ever think that you know, the way that your mom was and the way that she raised you, like it was kind of a blessing and a curse because it sounds like 
you develop like a, a very strong sense of autonomy, but at the same time, like that strong sense of independence could lead to like stubbornness or lead to you missing out on things because you didn't think you needed anybody's help. Well, definitely. Um, I, I think it was a blessing and a curse. Um, it was a blessing from the standpoint that, you know, I developed a sense of self-reliance that I may not have developed otherwise. But it was a curse from the standpoint that I never really developed the um, the ability to share, you know, the emotional side of myself to communicate, you know, with you know with my loved ones and and, and the people around me um, in a way that was more balanced. I'll say, you know, that manifested itself in you know in my relationship with my father and with my you know with my mother. I mean, you know. Um, how you may see on TV or whatever or in a movie how um, you know a child and their parents will have a you know a, a nice free-flowing dialogue you know between the two of them and, and enjoy each other's company and you know and, and just enjoy little little things just little, little light things with them I feel like I kind of missed out on that with, with my parents me too dad me too Find Absentsire on Instagram at Absentsire Show. To reach out, email Absentsire Show at gmail.com. I'm Jason V. Thanks for listening.